this episode will be airing on December 24th. Oh, great. Context. So all my holidays. For, oh, for perfect. <laughs> Maybe, oh, Santa Claus might be listening to this while he's <laughs> delivering gifts. It's his, like, big, <laughs> his big night of the year. To listen to podcasts. <laughs> yeah, to listen to podcasts and visit all of his paramours. Yeah, I was going to say, this is when Santa is non-monogamous. He actually came up with the entire tradition of giving gifts around the world as a cover. Stuff in the stock. So Sarah. Yes, Alex? When did your parents first talk to you about sex and relationships? Still waiting. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But you know what? I'm not actually in that big of a hurry. Oh, oh, aren't you? No. <laughs> well, I know what I'm going to be bringing up at Christmas dinner. Please don't. I will. <laughs> please, no, please don't. Okay, well, welcome to Mistakes Were Made. It's a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah. I'm queer. I'm non-monogamous. I write stuff. I therapize people. I have awkward conversations with my kids, awkwardly. And I'm Alex. I also have uh, awkward conversations with your kids. That sounds weird. They're they're also my kids. We're we're married. We have two children together. Uh, awkwardly. Awkwardly. <laughs> <laughs> what isn't awkward about having children? Uh, and I'm Jessica, resident monogamist. I also have awkward conversations with your kids. Um, which they I, excel in it, really. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're, you're smooth. <laughs> Just avoid them all, I say. You know what? That's a great one to ask your mom about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am not a parent myself, but I did just become a dog parent. So if anything comes up related to dogs, we'll, we'll cover that, I'm sure. In when are you going to talk to your dog about non-monogamy? Yeah. Hmm. He's not really allowed to <laughs> see any people besides uh, Curtis right now. So <laughs> he's heavily monogamous. He's, yeah. Coerced <laughs> monogamy. Yeah, it is kind of coerced monogamy. It's weird, monogamous. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we'll have to put this in a different episode. <laughs> but it's kind of creepy how they are like trying to force this bond between Curtis and the dog by not letting anyone else give the dog love or affection. Mm. Problematic. Yeah, yes. big time. Woo. Oh, yeah, it's like a marriage in some cultures. Yeah. Like ours. Right, and it's <laughs> kind of a similar, the metaphor is there because dogs are pack animals, right? Right. And so their natural instinct is to be part of a pack and like a lot of diverse crisscrossing connections. Uh, and yeah. one of the reasons why they're so loyal is because they've been removed from that context mm. and forced into like heavily dependent relationships. So it is like monogamy. Well, sad. Congratulations <laughs> on your new dog, Jessica. <laughs> I really look forward to you drawing more parallels between dog parenting and human parenting. As yes. People really like forward. that, yeah. right? That's it's my impression. Pretty much the same. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> All right, so, Alex. Yes. We're back, and we're talking about parenting and non-monogamy 
again. This is not the first time that we've talked about this on the show, but what are we doing this time? How is it different? Uh, we're, I hopefully we're gonna do a better job because we're because <laughs> we're better people now. No, um, yeah, we did an episode about uh, I think it was called Polyam Parenting um, in season one, and I I got some feedback on that episode that it was kind of like we talked around it a lot, and we never really said like kind of what we did mm-hmm. in our um, you know how we talk to our kids about non-monogamy. And I think that was probably because we didn't like really feel very comfortable about it at the time. Um, And Mm -hmm. I don't know that we necessarily feel perfectly comfortable about it now, but maybe we're more comfortable with the discomfort. I I think Um, we're a little more humble. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. So yeah, we were probably doing that thing where we're like trying to lean into the idea that we had everything figured out um, or present that. Um, And uh, so I think, this time around, I hope that we can dig more into the nuts and bolts of like, you know, how do you talk to and incorporate your kids into like being a non-monogamous person and like have that that life um, more transparently or where are the boundaries around that? And like, yeah, how do different people approach that and including us and what works and what doesn't and what are the mistakes that you can make and how do you resolve those when you do make them? Yeah, and as I mentioned before, we're headed into the holiday season and all of those awkward family dinner conversations, um, which has me thinking about what kind of awkward holiday dinner conversations do we want to be having with our kids in 30 years, assuming they're still talking to us? Yeah, Yeah, uh that's a lot of pressure. It is interesting to think about, uh, or terrifying to think about uh, what that might feel like and yeah what you're doing now with your children uh, and how that's gonna feel for them in the future yeah and our kids are for sure taking notes yeah they <laughs> they're on their little pads like <laughs> notes app <laughs> voice notes um yeah yeah and it seems like in the past our conversations about poly parenting have tended to center around the adult experience a little bit like how do you divide the time and does it like endanger the family or the like unit of parents? And um, I think this one will be a little different because we're trying to center what the experience of the kids might be like a little bit more, um, which I think is interesting and kind of uncomfortable in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also like two years ago. Uh, so they're a little bit older now. Um, so they're, our kids are five and seven you know, almost six and eight. Um, and, you know, they were three and five back then. So uh, that is, they are at very different ages in terms of like, they're just like awareness of what's kind of going on around them, their understandings of relationships, those kinds of dynamics, and their kind of like sensitivity to that stuff. It um, definitely, that's a big change. yeah, it definitely has felt like now we're in an era where we either have to be a lot more frank about non monogamy. And much more transparent with them, or we have to be really good at obscuring it. There's yeah. not like a lot of middle ground, you know? And so we've been talking about that. And then you found this Reddit thread that kind of got us talking about it even more specifically. So mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm going to tell you from memory because uh, this Reddit thread no longer is there. Um, I, I think you, the 
the original poster on Reddit threads can just like delete them and then everything is gone, including my very insightful comments. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> so, uh, but basically, uh, as I'm recollecting, uh, I can't remember, I think I sent it to, to the two of you as well, maybe. Um, so you might have seen it, but um, it was uh, basically the, the short version that was very short. It was just like this husband is like, hey, I'm going out of town and my wife wants to have her new boyfriend over. Uh, to sleep over after the kids go to bed and I'm feeling uncomfortable about it. What do, what do people think about this? Is this okay? Um, and uh, so there were like a lot of responses um, in various different ways uh, just to be like transparent about kind of where we've been on our kind of journey. Um, this is something that we've done before mm-hmm. in the past. Um, I think both of us have had people mm-hmm. come over after like people that we were dating come over after our kids went to bed. Um, I think in my case, I have had people over who hung out with the kids and then spent the night, uh-huh. which I've also done. I don't think I ever did it where they came over after the kids went to bed. Oh, so you think you're better than me, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's, cool. and we can just finish Good. the podcast I'm right glad. there. Done. <laughs> Cut. Thanks for, <laughs> for fitting that in there. <laughs> One point for Sarah. <laughs> People are out there keeping score, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're keeping track at home. Well, and I mean, I don't, I, we have, I want to be like, we've done everything. No, oh, but kind of it's true. A little bit as we were sorting ourselves out around this, we, I've, I've taken the kids on overnight trips with partners. I've, you know, had partners here spend the night, you know, uh, Mm-hmm. We've we've tried a lot of stuff yeah. on for sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it is like very tempting. There's a there's a was for us a phase I think where you get like pretty deep into the like logistics of like you know we're trying to like have a lot of time together as a family and we're trying to also have a lot of relationships. So sometimes you're like, oh, you're going out on that night. Um, and you're going to be away. I, why don't we make that also be the night where I'm taking care of the kids at home and all like, you know, do something with one of my partners as well. I think that's kind of how you land on that. It's not necessarily like you feel like it's ideal, but you're sort of like, Hey, you know, we have this time. I, you're going to be gone anyway. Uh, let's all just have this person come over either, you know, and have dinner with the kids and then they'll go to bed or after the kids. So before we go any further on this, I want to ask Jessica to weigh in here just about the kind of Reddit post. Well, so there's there's kind of two scenarios that we're talking about here. And one scenario from the Reddit thread is one parent is with the kids. The kids go to bed. They have a partner over. Presumably the kids never know about it. The second scenario that we were describing is one where a partner comes over, hangs out with the kids, and then maybe stays after to hang out with you or spends the night. I want to stop right there with those two scenarios and just get you to weigh in on this, Jess. Like, first thoughts, responses to that. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, like, thinking about the scenario of someone coming over to hang out with the kids, you know, basically, like, the question of introducing your partner to kids. I feel like I'm not worried at all about the kids being confused or weirded out. Like, the kids don't know necessarily that something is weird or different. Obviously we know like your children think that I am their literal 
family because I'm their auntie and have been their whole life, right? And I am their literal family, even though we're not like biologically related. So point being like, I'm not really worried about that. I think kids, families can look however they look, but I'd be worried about like the way the kids talk about it at school mm-hmm. um, and what, you know, what other people's reactions might be mm-hmm. or whether people would be concerned. Um and then it's interesting when I think about the other scenario of the person coming over after the kids go to bed. I guess it depends whether you're talking to the kids about it or not, but it like feels like keeping a secret, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't love that element of it. Yeah, I think that was the presumption in the in the post is that this is sort of what the person wanted to do. It's like, oh, well, we're not going to tell them. They're never going to know. So right. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You think the kids would never know? Well, I'm going to weigh in on that because I have some thoughts about this also from the perspective of a therapist. Uh But before I do, what were the Reddit responses? Like, how did people react to this? I mean, it was, uh, I was sort of surprised. It was kind of all over the place. I think some people basically just kind of being like, it's fine. Um, uh, Or I guess maybe from the perspective of they probably won't know. And... You know, you can sort of see it's one of those things where you're like, probably 95% of the time they won't. Do you want to worry about the 5%? Um, And then some people being like, uh, it's all, I mean, I guess to sort of the first scenario, almost like it's always a bad idea to expose your kids to your other partners. Um, And then some people like digging more deeply into that and like talking about like, like there was one person, this really stuck out for me, like, uh, that like here's the rule single parents in monogamous contexts like the rule of thumb is do, we don't they don't introduce their children to their romantic partners for like until they've been dating them for like a year um, which to me I was like well that seems like a long time and seems like a very different um, standard prospect yeah right I mean that is interesting because in a monogamous context, presumably if you're dating somebody for a year, you're on an elevator of like seriousness that is probably headed towards like moving in together and that person becoming an attachment figure, an attachment figure for your child. And so those considerations feel different. And obviously Mm -hmm. non-monogamous people and polyamorous people do have relationships that deepen and expand to include like partners being attachment figures for their kids but the equation seems different to me feels Mm -hmm. different yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and I mean I guess just to be to like think about what this has felt like when we did it when I did it Mm -hmm. um there were definitely times when I had people come over after the kids went to bed and uh had to like be I mean be like surreptitious about the person being there and like the kids like woke up Mm -hmm. I can remember one time like one of the kids woke up and like cried and I had to like run over there and like take care of them you know and like make sure that they weren't like really aware that the other person was there which like wasn't hard at that time when they were at that age but it was just stressful as fuck. Yeah, sounds stressful. And like, 
that's kind of why I think we don't really do that anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are probably like other good reasons, but a main good reason is like the experience of trying to get the kids to go to bed on time for somebody to like come over and the transition between those things. And then like trying to like contain and the sort of like switching between those roles. I also found myself to be like, I mean, kind of regardless of what you're doing, whether it's like going out or um, having somebody come over, just like trying to get through parenting and get your kids to bed. Mm-hmm. It's like a different, it's a different feeling. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't feel great. And it's not really a vibe that is centering the kid's experience. Right. Yeah. Which It's just like, move it along <laughs> so I can get on to my real life, which real talk, parents are doing a lot doing that time. a lot of the time regardless of what kind of parents they are yes. but yeah huh so i want to talk about how where you and i landed on this but mm-hmm. i think i actually want to like step back for a moment and just have some bigger picture thoughts about <laughs> what we think our kids do and don't know mm-hmm. uh, that's a little informed by my work it's mm. a little informed by the type of kid i was which was definitely a kid that was really, really interested in the adult world. It's a little informed by the type of kid I have, one of whom is very interested in the adult world. Mm -hmm. But I think generally, um, kids are wired to be very, very sensitive and aware of what is going on with their caregivers and where they live. It's like a survival strategy. And I think adults can underestimate Mm -hmm. how much they actually Mm -hmm. do know and sense regarding that, even if they don't have the language or the emotional maturity to exactly explain or articulate what it is. I think they are more aware of those dynamics than we sometimes want to believe. And I also think kids are more capable of understanding concepts like romance and crushes and even sex before they're in puberty, mm. which is a really uncomfortable idea for a lot of us, but is just also kind of like true. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of where I'm starting from is kids probably know more about what you're doing than you would like to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just Responses. share really quick that I was in the car with you and your, well, both of your kids the other day and your oldest said to me, TT, I know everything that's going on with grownups. He's like, I'm always listening, and I always know what you're talking about. And I was like, you know what? I know this about you, but I didn't realize, like, you knew it about you, or you realized that I was, like, thinking, you know, it was just, like, it's so, I mean, I think he's kind of an extreme example, yeah, but I, it's also kind of, he's always been this way. Like he's also able to express some of these thoughts that I think probably a lot of other kids are as aware as he is of what's going on with adults, but they wouldn't think to tell the adult, you know, yeah. or to talk right. about it. You yes. know, his self-awareness is incredible. Yeah. What prompted <laughs> him to say that? Do you know? Like what? I can't. Oh, it was because uh, we found a really good parking spot and I went, holy shit. Nikes. <laughs> and then he was like, TT, if I wasn't here, you would have said the S word. <laughs> Isn't that true? And we were like, yeah, it's true. true. <laughs> yeah. And especially for kids who are sensitive, have anxiety, 
they are very, very attuned to what's going on with the adults around them because the thing we always forget about kids, they have no power in their lives. Right. Like, right. It's hard to tap back into what that felt like. I think in part because it's like scary to actually transport yourself back to a time in your life where you were so powerless over what your life felt like, what you did, what, your, what you could eat, what your house felt like. Um, and because of that, they're really, really noticing the things that are going on around them, noticing what's going on with the adults that they depend on because they, they don't get to have much of a say. Um, so yeah, I, I think about this a lot with clients of mine in particular who are new to non-monogamy and understandably are like, well, we don't want to tell our kids about any of this because we don't even know if it's going to stick for us. Um, and so we're going to just kind of keep this secret and then down the line, we'll decide what we do or don't say to them or what we do or don't reveal to them. And I have said in more than one case, your kids probably know. Like that's not always Mm -hmm. true, but especially as they get older, they probably know something's going on. Yeah. Do you think they know, no, or do you think they just know like something is different or their family is different or something like that. I think it depends. Um, I think a lot of couples when they're first opening up are fighting a lot about it. And Mm. I think kids are very sensitive to that. Right. And And kids are definitely like sensitive to that it's happening and are probably listening to the content of the fighting. Yes. As a child who would hear my parents fight downstairs and literally go hide on the stairs to hear what they were fighting about. Yeah. I have no illusions about that. (laughs) You know, like right. you're like balancing their checkbook for them when they're fighting about exactly. money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Clipping coupons. Uh-huh. It's just making me think about like in crisis communications, the way that you talk about some of this stuff too, where like saying something is better than saying nothing because like people will just make up their own stories about mm. what you is going on. You want to get ahead of the narrative. Yeah. The narrative. That mm-hmm. is my couple years in crisis <laughs> communications really did teach right. me that. <laughs> uh, if people can sense that something's going on and they're not sure what it is, the story that they're likely to con- concoct is one that is far more damaging and upsetting than what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. Or as Alex likes to say, it's not the crime. It's the cover up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I want to um, just uh, throw out there that we talked to a bunch of uh, other parents um, about their different approaches to this um, that we're going to kind of like dig into in this episode, too, to get like a, a sort of broader th- swath of of takes on it, because it does seem like people have pretty different approaches, maybe kind of depending on their parenting philosophy and also depending on like their kind of level of experience, um, where they're at on their kind of journey, also age of their kids. Um, it does seem like there are a lot of different approaches. Um, and just to be clear, what we're talking about here is how honest are you with your kids about your practice of non-monogamy, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the broader question that we're exploring. Yeah. And why have you made those choices? Yeah. I think honest is an interesting word to use. Okay. Um, because, uh, I would, I would use the word open Hmm. because Mm -hmm. I do want to leave space for the possibility that sharing, that there are things that you shouldn't share with your children. Mm. Like, 
I think we as parents tend to usually share almost everything with them or like, uh, you know, let them in on a lot of stuff. And I think we'll probably come back to that later. I, I tend to like feel, feel like that feels good, but I think that is, we're different than a lot of people in that way. Mm. Um, yeah. And this is an area of some sensitivity for me and we are going to get into it because I don't always know if that's the right choice. Yeah. Mm. Me either. Um, and we'll talk about some of the ways that it doesn't always feel like it. Right. I also always. We're both just looking at Jessica. What do you think, Jessica? Is it the right choice? But I mean, I do definitely. There's, and I think we're maybe we'll come back to this. But there's like a big. There's two big buckets, right? Of like privacy and secrecy, right? And obviously, there are mm. a lot of things that are private, right? For any person, for the kids, whatever. And there's lots of things that should go in that sort of like private world. But then, when are you veering into secrecy? And mm-hmm. like, what are your thoughts about? sort of openness or transparency or not about life. Yeah. <laughs> and we also joke, we have a really small apartment. Right. Yes. There's only so yeah. much that we would be able to yeah. successfully keep yes. secret. Yeah. <laughs> we have yeah. a giant lock on our bedroom door. Uh-huh. Like comically large. Like yeah. it's comically large. <laughs> but that's so, I mean, that is definitely one of the first things I thought of with this question where like, yeah, sure. If the kids can be like, downstairs in their bedrooms and you're like upstairs hanging out with a date at home. That also feels very different than if, you know, you're basically five feet away from uh, the right. bedroom where the kids are sleeping. Yeah. There's like it feels very different mansion non-monogamy and then there's apartment non-monogamy mm-hmm. and they're completely different styles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's true. laughs> kitchen table. What about kitchen, kitchen yeah. counter? We don't even right. have a table. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to, give us like get into some of the responses that we got from people about this and then maybe talk about where we've landed and why. Yeah. I mean, there's, yes. Um, I think there's one thing before we do that, just to, to think about like the, um, going back to the, the Reddit post, um, and the like question about, there's a question about introducing your kids to other partners Mm -hmm. that maybe is kind of like, what what came up for me there and what I thought insightfully, I commented on that post. I just want to <laughs> resurrect that real quick, um, was that to me, it's like uh, it makes sense to think about th- the way that you treat your children in reference to your partners, like at least as a starting point, like the way that you would treat them, uh, that you, you would um, have them interacting with friends your friends. And like, so the thing that was a red flag about that is like, would you have a friend who was coming over and staying with you come over after your kids go to bed and not tell them? No. Right. Mm. You don't want shit going on in your house that your kids don't know about Mm -hmm. at all. You don't want them waking up and there being some person there that they're not, that they don't know that they don't know. And then they didn't know was going to be there. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's just a level of secrecy that is, going to be scary and is just like a bad idea. And I think that I guess the reason I wanted to come back to that is partly like that seems like a flag around like you're feeling mm-hmm. shame about what you're doing that is causing you to exercise poor judgment. And I say that with compassion because we did that literally did exactly. Yeah, the same we thing. literally did it. Like one time <laughs> I had somebody come over 
I think when the kids were here and like slept over and I, they were there when, with the kids in the evening, I think you were like out of town with somebody else. And then they, I kind of made it seem like they left and then came over again in the morning. And it was like, you know, this sort of like elaborate deception that like probably worked because the kids were like, you know, our son was like five. He probably didn't, you know, clock it. Or if he did, he didn't know how to say anything to me about it. But like, why, you know, that feels like a mistake to me. And that's an example of what I hear you saying is using protecting your kids as cover for something that you're uncomfortable with. Yeah. And like not really Mm. being able to be fully in touch with yourself about what you're comfortable with and why. And so kind of like finding these weird half measures, these awkward in-betweens that are a little out of alignment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was totally protecting myself from like, why couldn't I, if I felt like that was an okay thing to do, then why couldn't I just tell him like, Hey, this is this person's gonna sleep over mm-hmm. where mom usually sleeps or whatever. <laughs> Let's put a really fine point yeah. on it. Wearing mom's pajamas. This is, yeah, <laughs> mom's gone with new dad, and this is new mom for this the is weekend. Replacement mom. <laughs> you like her? You could just call her mom. Yeah. <laughs> mom too. Electric boogaloo. <laughs> Okay, so... (laughs) (laughs) Woo! (laughs) I'm going to go lay down. (laughs) And I don't feel any shame or weirdness about that at all. Okay, obviously this is one of the things that's going to be coming up at Thanksgiving 30 years from now. So let me just make that prediction right now. I just hear our oldest being like, I was five, Dad. You think I don't remember that? (laughs) You know what? This is why we do this podcast. (laughs) For you, listeners. This is the official record. So you don't end up like us. Yeah, don't don't do what we did. So you don't have to learn every lesson the hardest way possible, yeah. I swear. If only someone had told us. If only someone had told you know us what? that. We wouldn't have listened. Nope, definitely not. Mm-mm. But you can. Okay, so... <laughs> should we take a break? We might should like, take a yeah, quick break. Yeah, all right. Because, wow, mm-hmm. that was great. Alex. <laughs> yes. So you and I shared a little bit about when we were maybe at our most chaotic and inconsistent around mm-hmm. how open we were with our kids about non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get to where we are now and mm-hmm. how we got there and the mistakes perfect. we're currently Power making. Actually perfect. <laughs> well, you want to tell us about what you heard from other people. What what did you hear from other people with kids who are practicing non-monogamy about what, how open they are? Yeah. They do so we asked, asked a bunch of people that we know um, <laughs> who are parents uh, and uh, got some responses. Thank you, people who will remain <laughs> anonymous. Um, so uh, the first one is from a couple with kids who are about six and eight and have been non-monogamous for like two or three years. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, what we asked people was, have you talked to your kids about non-monogamy? If so, how, and if not, why not? 
Um, and the first people we asked uh, was a couple with kids who are about six and eight, and the couple have been non-monogamous for about three years. Um, and they said, we've talked to, we've talked about our boyfriends or girlfriends and about going on dates. Our kids have hung out with our partners and we've talked about what it means to love or care for people in many different ways. We haven't said the words non-monogamy or polyamory specifically. As far as not stating it specifically, I think partly it's because we're still figuring it out ourselves and it doesn't seem helpful to speak to the confusing nature of it when we aren't exactly clear how we're going to move forward in life being poly. It's felt like it's enough to introduce the experience of us having multiple relationships so that when they're a bit older, the pieces can be put together like, oh, that makes sense. And until we decide that our approach will be more involved as far as life involvement, sharing of resources, finances, childcare, we're taking it step by step. All right. What are like any reflections on the themes there or what do you all notice about that? Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're saying a big takeaway for me was they're they still feel like they're dipping their toes in kind of, or they're not, they're not like getting on an escalator with non-monogamy itself perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then therefore it's like not time yet. So it's kind of like the whole not introducing a partner to your kids until a year or whatever, just for like a single, single parent. I'm right. getting shades of that. Same but they idea. are saying they are inter- like, Oh, right. The kids are interacting They're talking with the about partners. It. Um, Oh, so that's just about the words, yeah. non-monogamy and polyamory. Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? I, w- I was like more, it was easier for me to understand. <laughs> So it's like they're not digging into the identity mm-hmm. with the kids, mm. but they are connecting them with the people um, and talking about boyfriends and girlfriends and going on dates. So there's a little bit of like showing, not telling that's happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I find it interesting also the piece where they're like, we want to be able to point back to this period if we don't basically stay in the lifestyle and for the kids to understand what was going on when hmm. they're a little more developmentally like, capable of understanding that, that's part of what I hear here, too. Right. Where they're like, we don't want to have obscured anything from them. We want to be able to be like, do you remember these people? Those were people we were dating at that time. And then for the kids to be able to be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. I, oh, I guess we should take responsibility for the phrasing of the prompt, which was, have you talked to your kids about non-monogamy? Which I guess, you know, prompted them to respond. Uh, about you know that term specifically as opposed Mm. to like your you know being non-monogamous um but uh yeah i mean this does make me think about how um as a parent just because monogamy is so kind of present for kids like you do kind of like de facto have this responsibility to explain yourself regardless um, of whether you want to or not, basically, right? Like you're being different and doing different stuff. You can't just be like, well, they're kids. They don't know. They do know and they do notice. And they're going to notice it's different. They're very aware of being different in any way. And I mean, that starts at a pretty early age. I have a couple of working examples from our life here recently. Yeah. I mean, one we were joking about before the podcast we aren't celebrating Thanksgiving this year um, in part because it's a hard anniversary of having lost a friend last year on Thanksgiving. And so we're doing something different. We're going to go to the movies and out to dinner. And our oldest came back and was like, 
you cannot go to public school and not celebrate Thanksgiving. It's too weird, mom. You know, so like there's just this way that they're scanning and tracking this stuff all the time. Um, but to right. your point, they're not in their nonconformity <laughs> phase yet. No, yeah. absolutely not. They're trying to understand how the world works, and they are paying attention to you know how it works for most people or what they're observing about that and where they fit into it. Um, and your point about monogamy being so overwhelmingly present in the culture, and maybe us not always thinking about how that's perceived by children, I think is important here too. Mm, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to the kids, which was a really formative book for me. I loved yeah, that book. Me too. I read Classic. it like 400 times. Um, and it's really interesting going back to it now. I had completely forgotten that an integral part of the plot from Hatchet is that the kid, Brian, who is stranded in the Canadian wilderness after a plane crash. Right. He's flying from being with his mom to visiting his dad, mm-hmm. who is working on the the northern oil fields in Alaska. God, his dad sounds so hot. Anyway. <laughs> his dad, the roughneck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the cuckolded roughneck. <laughs> anyway, he's flying from mom to dad because they've gotten divorced. Mm-hmm. And there's a plane crash, and he's stranded in the Canadian wilderness. And as he's there learning how to survive alone with a hatchet, uh, he is haunted by these visions of having seen his mom kiss another man. Mm. And his mom doesn't know he saw that. But he saw it like he was at the mall and saw her in a car with another man or something like that. And he is convinced that this is why the mom and dad are no longer together and that the dad doesn't know, and he alone kind of holds this secret, and it's mm-hmm. called The Secret. Mm. Um, and he has just, like, these visceral kind of, like, almost trauma flashbacks right. to it throughout And their the separation is kind of why he's, like, stranded in the wilderness, right. too. So it is, like, the emotional kind of, like, spine of the story, and, mm-hmm. like, the like if you were going to, like, spin a big metaphorical yarn out of, like, the whole thing, it's yeah. kind of, like, about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And... Deep as fuck. Deep as fuck. Yes. <laughs> I have already written many book reports on Hatchet in my life, but I'm ready to write another one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I've got new ideas. God, it's such a rich You're text. Right. It's like, Lord. Uh-huh. Is it is it affirming monogamy or is it Hatchet as a critique of monogamy? Yeah. More on that later. Yeah. Anyway, as I was reading this to the kids, I'm just like, going along chapter by chapter. And then like the penny literally drops for me that I'm just reinforcing this idea that if they see one of their parents kissing another person, it's a really terrible, bad thing that may result in divorce and also possibly your total abandonment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) And of course, like it's worth saying, I don't kiss other people in front of my kids intentionally. Right. That you know of. That I know of. (laughs) And it's entirely possible that they have seen me kiss Mm -hmm. someone other than you. Mm -hmm. uh, Or that they would. Yeah. And so I, like, stopped the book. And I'm like, hey, just, hey, just a a quick check-in here. Some relationships, the agreement is that you only kiss one other person. And if you break that agreement, it's really hurtful. 
in some relationships, it's okay if you kiss multiple people. And that's agreed upon with all the people involved. And that's the kind of relationship that your dad and I have. Mm -hmm. So if you ever see one of us kissing someone else, that's okay between me and your dad and the person that we're kissing. Everybody knows about it, and it's not a secret. Mm-hmm. And I believe our <laughs> kid said... <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. I already know that. God, mom, please keep reading. Ugh. Uh, I could tell that our younger was kind of like, hmm. You know, I don't think that she had had it as explicitly stated for her before, um, or it was the first time that she was, like, really grasping the concepts as we were talking about it. Uh, so it was like an interesting moment, yeah. and I feel like since that moment, I've just seen example after example in their lives mm. of monogamy being reinforced as the norm, and of this idea of like cheating or adultery yeah. as being like one of the worst things that people can right. do to someone. And they're like really into pop music now, and yeah. like every pop song pretty much is like, or like it shows up so much. Yeah. Our, so our God Kid um, was over here the other day. And she was watching a Taylor Swift video, like like they all do. Um, and the Taylor Swift video was of her destroying her boyfriend's car because he cheated on her. And mm. I was in the kitchen, and I overheard our godchild and our daughter talking about this. And, you know, our daughter was like, why is she wrecking the car? And then our godkid was like, well, see... She had a boyfriend, and that boyfriend, like, kissed another person, and I guess in some relationships, like, you're not supposed to kiss other people. And I was like, Aww. all right, our god kid is definitely, she like, up it. to speed on this, <laughs> you know? Doesn't surprise me that she has an advanced yeah. understanding of this. <laughs> Talk about a kid that's uh-huh. interested in the adult world, right. you know? But <laughs> Yeah. She was like, and the uh, that was not the agreement in that particular relationship that, was that not the Taylor container had. That they had built together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but now Taylor's is- relationship with Travis Kelsey <laughs> maybe is different. We don't know. But it is interesting. Again, like all the messages about monogamy that your kids are receiving, all the just casual examples of anything other than monogamy, monogamy being seen as really destructive and painful for people, yeah. and then again this assumption that you know what your kids have or haven't seen you do, mm-hmm. which I just mm. think is f- inherently flawed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should we hear from another couple? Mm-hmm. All right. Will you read this one? Yes. Okay. Let's see. Sorry. I'm just going to fix your mic. Okay. Stick in your face. Okay. Thank you. All right. So this is a couple who have been polyamorous for 10 years and they say, Yes, we talk about non-monogamy with our daughter and have since the beginning. Mostly, we phrase it in terms of family and friends, how we think it's silly that you can have a big family where you love everyone and lots of friends who you're close with, but for some reason, you can only have one partner you love. Why do we limit that type of love? But we all agree that other types of love are limitless. We also know uh, that when you have different friends, you do different things with them. Maybe one friend, it's art, and another, it's video games. Why would you choose and only pick one friend and one type of connection? She's 10, and these things make sense to her. She also knows that not everyone does things the way we do, and that's fine. We don't have judgment for other ways. It's just not what we choose for us. Interesting. Yeah, so Jessica, like, mm. what do you notice about that, or... What are some thoughts? Anything new there? 
super different. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I wanted to giggle when <laughs> talking about the like different activities you do with different types of friends. I know, that was uh, funny too. That makes me laugh too. Um, <laughs> and I also think it is a really good, you know, metaphor. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure. It's like, on the one hand, it is a really good sort of metaphor, but it's like indirect in that way. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's my question is like, how much does it r- really clarify what's going on? Like, you know, a 10 year old can understand some complex social dynamics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. So I, I'm like wondering if this is an over or just like if they're going to fill in more information, kind of like we were talking about before getting something like this, that is like, I think accurate, but like lacking in detail. Yeah, I am really struck, and I so deeply relate to this one. Mm. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, this is, this is like me to a T, where I have all of these like sort of thoughtful analyses that I've like couched in really age-appropriate mm-hmm. terms. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. And it sounds really good, but I am also really pointedly avoiding saying what I mean. Mm-hmm. You Which know? is sex. A large part of it is sex. (laughs) So, and like. Because, like, video games and art, like, I have friends who I play video games and friends who I make music with. And then I have friends who I have sex with. And those are, (laughs) those relationships feel different. (laughs) Quite, exactly. There's a. (laughs) Yeah. I don't just happen to decide to have sex with the video game friends (laughs) one day. That would be hot. This stuff, yeah, it would be hot. But, I know. I'm like, oh, now I'm just like, yeah, imagining all these different scenarios. But that's not the point. Um, the point here is <laughs> that we are really struggling to ever even name the different type of love. Like at the top, I do this too. Mm. I don't talk about like romantic love. We're just like all types of love, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, well, but we are talking about something specific, and that is specifically different. And we're talking about a kind of love that often includes sex and physical intimacy. Um, and I also am very uncomfortable talking to my kids about that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think this probably speaks to why people shy away from the actual terms polyamory and non-monogamy mm. in the way they talk about it with their kids. In part, those words are like kind of clunky and intellectual, but also they do a little bit force you down a road of talking about romance and sex and intimacy. I don't know. What do y'all think? Mm. And then I'll share a big yeah, mistake I made in I this department. I think in another <laughs> age bracket up, I, I don't know, but I think kids are really into labels and understanding that stuff once you get into like early teens. And so like those kind of, that kind of language is really helpful. But yeah, maybe a little bit younger, it's a little bit harder to use those terms. They're probably aware, pretty aware of like what is going on with sex and like trying to like talk around that is not really going to work. But it's a it's maybe a hard age because you're kind of in between those two things. Right? Yeah. They're not as deep as deeply into what their identity is. Um but also they're not gonna you know, they're gonna understand um the nuances and understand like what sex is. Um yeah. Well I mean I feel like even at that age it's like they know that there's something different about being a boyfriend, girlfriend, than being a friend, even if they're not like 
specifically thinking about or talking about sex or even kissing or anything, but it's like, but it is this sort of like elevated different thing that kids will start doing. I mean, I remember people having boyfriends and girlfriends at, I don't know, in kindergarten, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Is that? Yeah. I think there's the kindergarten ones and then there's like the fifth grade ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what about what? <laughs> we also, I'm talking about specific people. <laughs> we, we know who you are. Shout out. Chrissy. Are they on Facebook? <laughs> Let's pull them up. Where are they now? Yeah, I don't know. This one is tough. We also yeah. have a seven-year-old who does talk about having multiple crushes on multiple genders of people and also talks about how he doesn't share that. Mm-hmm with most folks because he knows it's weird. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. There's a lot here. There is. Um, Cause he knows it's weird. The gendered part. Yes. Mm. I've definitely heard him say that. And that is like, makes me sad. Um, all, but also he's also talked about not sharing that with the person. Right. Um, and, just I think maybe setting aside the the like secrecy around like you know uh, orientation, uh, just the idea that kids know the difference between somebody that they're friends with and that they like in that way and somebody that they have a crush on is kind of interesting, mm. uh-huh. and like mm-hmm. that that can map to their parents' relationships too, mm-hmm. and so like saying you know well they're it's why can't we have space for different kinds of love is kind of like, or like different kinds of friendship like is accurate, but there is like this truth that like kids are going to understand that like there are some kinds of relationships that are more special. And I think I've, I've heard our kids say like, Oh, that's your special friend. And they like vibe that there's a different vibe Mm -hmm. with some people. Um, What it makes me wonder about though, is also like, Is some of our fear around talking about this stuff with our kids related to, like, what kinds of relationships are actually perhaps threatening to them? Because they're threatening to, like, our family and to their parenting. Hmm. What are you thinking of? Relationships. I think that sometimes people, you know, sometimes non-monogamy or poly relationships are, like, like it's a fundamental fact that they are sometimes like uh, a threat to, or like a part of a transition around a like a primary partnership, right? Like the end, yeah, of a primary or partnership, like, or like even like a change that, without the context of ch- children being in the picture, maybe that would be like fine, you know. Um, but when children are in the picture, there's other people who are implicated, right? Like, so you mean like sometimes relationships might, a primary relationship might end, but it's not ending because there's kids, so they open up? Uh, no, I just mean like, I mean, that could be, but like, just like, so say we're in like a pure poly world where you're just like, uh, you know, we're together, these two people are together and maybe another person is going to show up and we're, you know, going to be in a thruple together or there's going to be a hinge partnership or whatever. When there's just like all adults in that world in whatever relationship iterations they're in, 
um, then everybody can kind of do what they want. And that's fine. And there's the commitments that the adults want to have and the hierarchies that the adults want to have and blah, blah, blah. But when two of those adults have children together, that changes the dynamics fundamentally, right? And so some relationships are going to be like meaningful in that way and are going to be like potentially like are going to implicate the children in that way. And some aren't. Mm -hmm. And I would say like for us, Hmm. especially right now, I can say very confidently that our relationships aren't going to like implicate our children in that way. I disagree with that. Really? Yeah, I do. I mean, we, you're in a multi-year relationship with a secondary partner who our kids know, who are literally at an event, who was at an event with them this weekend. You went away on a vacation with this partner and our kids knew that you were away with your girlfriend. Yeah, but that's like subtle compared to like them being that person becoming like an attachment figure for them. That's what I'm talking about. Mm, Yeah. Like, yeah, it's sure it like, it's not like it's completely invisible to them, but that's very different than like, you know, the prospect of like that person becoming my primary partner or like becoming an, you know, an attachment figure, like a co-parent to to those children. That's true. You see what I'm saying? I do. Though there's a lot of space between a relationship that has no impact on your kids at all, which would be pretty hard to engineer, I think. Yes. Um, And a relationship where that person becomes a co-parent. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all I'm saying is that relationships do show up in like poly or non-monogamous parenting where there's the potential whether the, the, the parties like want that to be the case or not, there's the potential for that to happen. And the parents, one or both of the parents might be like really scared about that. And it might really impact the way that they talk to the children about it. Right. And like, it might really impact like the children's lives. And I think it's like, we would be remiss to like, have a whole conversation about this and pretend that that never happens. You know what I mean? Where polyamory can actually be a threat to the stability of a family as a child knows it. Yeah. Which is like, you know, it's not to say like, and also those people might never be polyamorous and might get divorced. And that would also, you know, it's like, there are many things that are threats to families. It's not like this is the problem, but it certainly is like, you can't just be like, and that never happens. And we're all totally enlightened people. You know, no, people are nervous about this, yeah, for reasons that are valid and yeah. understandable, and that that's why this is an interesting conversation, you know, and being mindful of like it's fine when families change, it's fine if partnerships end, children are also fine through that, like it's all fine, yeah, but we are talking about like dynamism, change. And difference, essentially, in our most intimate relationships and inside our families and homes. And that is inherently scary and potentially disruptive. Yeah. And so... In the process of those changes happening, there's probably going to be a lot of sitting on the stairs listening to... Your parents argue. Your parents argue. <laughs> and fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you were... <laughs> You were saying all of this as a way of being like, it's understandable why we use euphemism. It's understandable why we're like erring sometimes on the side of protection or not being completely open with our kids about what's going on because this is like serious business. Sometimes. Because like we're scared as the parents. And so we might yeah. want to 
protect ourselves and our children. And yeah. And it's so hard to know when we're protecting ourselves, when we're protecting our kids. Yeah. How do we know the difference? Often we only know that in retrospect. And I don't think there's a perfect way to do this. And I think the considerations for people are always complex. Yeah. What I would say, and I'll, I'll say this like through sharing a story of a mistake I made that I think really guides the way I orient towards this now. So probably, I'm going to say like two years ago, a year and a half ago, a little shy of two years ago, I was in a mm, pretty significant partnership with someone. Um, she and I had been dating probably for like nine months. We had gone on a trip together, just the two of us. The kids had met her. I did talk about her as a special friend, I think was the terminology <laughs> I used at that time because I can remember our youngest playing Barbies, was it? No, she was watching a cartoon of some kind and one of the characters had dark hair and she was like, oh, is that the main character's special friend? Like your <laughs> special friend? So I must have been using that language. Um, and I went on a like an overnight trip with her, the kids, Jess, you were there. Mm -hmm. um, and some other, like... There was maybe like five or six people. Five or six Both people. your kids. Mm -hmm. One other kid. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex, I think you were away with somebody. Um, and I just didn't really talk to the kids about her being there. I mean, I they knew she was coming, but I didn't talk about it in any particular way. And then, of course, she and I were sharing a bedroom. Mm -hmm. But the kids went to bed before we did. And so that wasn't really much of an issue, or I didn't think about it being an issue. Um, and my plan was just that I was going to get up with the kids early and make breakfast and take care of them. Um, and one night, our oldest came in there to wake me up because he was worried about something. He had a nightmare. And he saw that someone else was in the bed. And he was like, wait, who's in the bed with you? Did daddy come back? Oh. And I remember saying, like, no, that's, you know, I didn't say special friend. I used her name. <laughs> and the look on his face, I think, is something that I will remember for as long as I live. Mm. Because it was the look of someone being like, oh. Oh, like, you were hiding something from me. And mm. there was something going on that I didn't understand. And now I understand it and I kind of caught you. Hmm. And it was just like, I think betrayal is too strong a word, but there is some other word that describes like what that felt like. And I was like, I don't want to do this again. Like, mm. I don't want this to happen mm. between me and the kids again around this. So I guess I just offer that up because, you know, that was a big mistake I made. It is really hard to talk about this stuff, especially when it gets like into the real nitty gritty of like, who's sleeping in the bed and... What does that mean? And, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. What, what would you have done differently? Uh, I think now, with them at the age that they're at now and where I am with non-monogamy, I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> Which, like take that trip. I probably wouldn't take that trip. Uh, well, here's what I would say. Or, yeah. If I were taking that trip, I would want to be ready to talk to them about how this is my girlfriend, what that means, mm -hmm. 
and that she and I are going to be sleeping in the same room together and ask them how they feel about it and talk to them about it and probably have to talk to them about it multiple times and be mm. ready to answer like a lot of questions about it. Right. And if I'm not ready to do that, then I wouldn't do it. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. to be ready to do that would require like that I had a level of kind of comfort with the person and with like the role that we were going to play in each other's lives for like the foreseeable future that would have to be pretty significant. Does that make sense? I feel like now I'm speaking in euphemisms, but (laughs) no, I don't think you are. I mean, I think it starts to speak to the, like my question was like, is it just a matter of communication or not? And like, I think you, you answered that. It is like about, yeah, it is interesting that the sort of like physical presence like in bed mm-hmm. just is this like <laughs> it's a very symbolic like replacement thing mm. because the kids are just so used to like seeing, you know, in at least in our situation, they're right. used to seeing the two of us together in bed and then us being like, get out of here, leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> and we're trying to sleep in. Um, and so, like, it's a very, like, visceral, like, oh, there's somebody else there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you do have to kind of, like, be ready to, like, not just explain that, like, sort of intellectually, but also, like, kind of, like, emotionally explain right. that. And yeah. then I also went and spent the night at a partner's house this weekend and told the kids about that. Mm-hmm. I said I was going to stay over at her house and who right. I was going to be with. And I have talked about her as someone I have a crush on. Right. Before. Mm. Yeah. Which if I'm remembering correctly though, like circumstances of you telling them that was like, you were kind of put on the spot, right? Mm-hmm. Like our son like ran out of a party, like after you and was like, why are you saying goodbye to that person? Yeah, he was like, why are you walking her to her car? Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, well, because I just want to spend some special time just with her. And then he was like, did you all go to school together to become therapists or something? Like, he was trying to identify. A little detective. What was the special relationship that would cause me to behave in this way that was kind of unusual? And that's when I was like, uh, no, we have crushes on each other. So I want to spend a little uh-huh. extra time with her because she's my crush. Uh-huh. Hmm. And then didn't he run away screaming? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And one thing I want to say about that, to me, that's like a really sweet story. And like that is kids like learning. Like the reason he's interested and he's asking those questions is he's learning how to be mm. from you. Mm-hmm. Right. And like not in a bad way. There's nothing wrong with that. And he, like, wants that information because he wants to, like, understand how the adult world works, right? And, like, what is it that makes a relationship special? And he doesn't want to know that to, like, be able to bust on you or something. He wants to know that to be able to know how he should be. And he's, like, so he's trying to grow up and gain information about the world. And then he turns around, and that was, like, you know, a little while ago. And then he turns around, and he's starting to talk about, like, crushes that he has. And I don't think that that's, like... You know, it's like too early for him to have that information. He's probably like having those feelings about people, but he's like discerning, like I have my friends and then I have my friends who like I have that kind of feeling about. And I think that's nice. And it probably does also mean that our children will like be more likely to be, you know, non-monogamous or whatever, because they have this modeling, which I don't think is a bad thing, or they will... Completely rejected. Completely rejected. <laughs> because they don't want to be anything like us at all. Be, 
Yeah. <laughs> Probably just completely asexual altogether and <laughs> date only AI robots. Yeah. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Both of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh Okay, so there's a lot to talk about here, obviously. And I think what I'm learning is that this is something that I feel like both pretty emotional about and also pretty passionate about. That it feels important to me if being non-monogamous is important to me, being a parent is important to me. And doing both of those things in a way that is like open and self-aware is clearly very important to me. I'm like really learning that about myself right now (laughs) (laughs) in real time. What of our other like responses that we got, what other themes came up? You can read them or summarize anything else that feels like. Yeah. Why don't I read this last one and um, kind of see what else is there that maybe ties it together. Uh Um, Okay. So uh, this is from another couple whose kids are 10 and 13. So like a little bit older and maybe that's kind of interesting. Um, Yes, our kids have pretty much known from the beginning. It started before we opened up when we were first having conversations about it, and that happened to coincide with the youngest, who's maybe around five at the time, being really obsessed with the idea of crushes. And he would ask us if we had crushes on other people. So we started just answering him honestly, and but simply, and saying, of course, we sometimes have crushes on other people, while reassuring him that it didn't mean mommy and papa loved each other any less. And so we did start dating. So when we did start dating other people, it was pr- a pretty easy progression into talking about going on dates with crushes. We checked in with them about how they felt about things, and we were open to any questions they had. My oldest was in his preteen years, so seemed pretty ambivalent, but has generally been receptive to meeting new people. My youngest can get more territorial, I guess, and sometimes would struggle with the idea of me in particular leaving for a date, but he can be the same way with me going back to work, too. So I guess I think this is just kind of reinforcing a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, that like having some open communication can work. And as your kids get older, it will like fit in with the things that they're, you know. Yeah. One of the things that I hear here and I'm definitely taking with me is keep talking to them about it. I think that's a common challenge for Mm. adults is that, Kids, you have to like keep checking back in with them and keep asking them if they have any questions. And I hear kind of implicit in this that that's what these folks are doing. And it was just a reminder, like, you know, you don't just Mm -hmm. say it one time. It's like you reference it, ask about it, touch back on it lots of times. If you really want to normalize communicating about something, I think that is what you have to do with kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I guess the other thing I appreciate about this that we haven't really talked about is that like it sounds like. I read they can be ambivalent to as like they sometimes don't like it. Yeah. And that, you know, territorial, like it sounds like their kids are sometimes like there's open communication about what's going on and the kids know what they're doing and that they're going out on dates and, and stuff and that the kids are sometimes like not happy about it mm-hmm. and that they're the parents are like holding that unhappiness mm-hmm. and still doing what they want to do mm-hmm. um, and like living with the tension between those two things and not being like too angsty about it, I guess. And not having to resolve it. And yeah. I think being mm-hmm. comfortable or expanding your window of tolerance for discomfort mm-hmm. is pretty important with parenting and with non-monogamy in general. So it makes sense that it's important when those two things intersect in this way. Um 
And that does make me think about there being a kind of privileged piece here that I think is worth talking about and is important. I sometimes think that white parents (laughs) will use protecting their kids as cover for displaying kind of a low tolerance for discomfort themselves around being different or taking risks with their privilege. Mm. Um, And that's like a big statement. And (laughs) I I feel like I can say it because I see it in me. Like Mm -hmm. I see my, my struggles with that too and how easy it can be to be like, you know, I'm not going to risk any of my privilege here or uh, experience any of this extra discomfort because I don't think it would be good for my kids. And it's like, there's a lot of cultural cover there that I think can get pulled apart and reveal some interesting things. And for a lot of us, if you're like white, middle class, upper class, especially like married, straight passing, you probably don't have a lot of experience with people judging you for being different yeah. mm-hmm. and having opinions about who you are and how you live. And this stuff with kids like brings that up pretty quickly where it's like, yeah, your kids are going to talk about it. People in your community are going to talk about it. Like if you're being open with your kids, then people are going to know about it. And then you are open to being judged uh, for being different and being judged for the way you raise your kids uh, in ways that are going to be potentially uncomfortable. And you might not have a lot of experience with that. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is, and like, I mean, this definitely, I think about this a lot because I'm not like, I'm like sort of like out as non-monogamous in realms other than like sort of work and like on social media, which is mostly like work stuff. And like, that's the only place where I'm like vulnerable kind of. And, you know, I'm like not, uh, I don't know. I like don't want to be vulnerable (laughs) in that realm. Right. And everywhere else I'm kind of like, fuck it. Right. Because what's anybody going to do to me? Right. But in the one place where, you know, potentially something bad could happen to me, I'm like, nope. No, thank you. <laughs> I'll keep all my privilege. Thank Sounds you very much. Sounds hard. Like, yeah. And that stuff is subtle. You know, one of the things that came up for me when I was thinking about this, well, a couple of things. Uh, one, I remember early on in being non-monogamous, our son did out me to a teacher for having a sleepover with a boyfriend. Ooh. But he was young enough and inarticulate enough that (laughs) she didn't understand what he was talking about. And I kind of covered it, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I was talking to a friend of mine who was BIPOC about it and she checked me, (laughs) you know, and I was like really angsty and nervous. I'm like, what does this mean for me and my family? If I'm like living this way and people will have bad things to say about us. And what if that like splashes back on my kids? Is that irresponsible? And she was like, yeah, so this is like your first experience with people thinking your family is weird and different. Mm. And that's hard for you. But I already experienced that with my kid all the time at school because he eats different food and he speaks a different language at home and we celebrate different holidays. And, you know, and she's like, I am navigating that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that I get to like choose or control. It's something that is just the reality of what it's like to be a parent. Um, and be a parent who is like a BIPOC parent from a non-majority culture. And that has stuck with me too. Like I was like, Ooh, gulp. Yes, you are correct. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. um, you know, or it makes me think about um, some of the discourse around standing up for Palestine and for a ceasefire, calling for a ceasefire and against like Israeli aggression and U.S. involvement in killing Palestinians and committing a genocide and how a lot of BIPOC activists and people are like, hey, why are we the people out here on our social media standing up for this controversial thing? And we don't hear from white people about this. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But I do think one of them is because white people don't want to get in trouble, don't want to get in trouble and have a lot more privilege to lose and a lot less experience with being away, believing a thing uh, in a world that disagrees with them and disagrees with them in ways that have consequences, mm-hmm. like real mm-hmm. potential consequences. Um, so this is all kind of intense, but I think like... We would expect nothing <laughs> else from you, Sarah. But I think like there are shades of that here. And like I'll dial it back a little bit and just also mention that one of the people that we talked to about this said that she isn't completely open with her kid about it because she has a tense like... A parallel co-parenting situation with the other kid's parent and is worried that if the co-parent knows about this, it could be weaponized against her. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Oh, yeah, that is way less Yeah, intense. so light. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> what Just else you got? A little... <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, that is, it is true that there are... You, know, you make a good point. Uh, jokes aside, that there, there are still, like, perils to the the difference and like that like privilege is related there too that like certain people wealthy white people are have are more safe in expressing different forms of like family systems and stuff like that and definitely like polyamory and non-monogamy and you know other people are have less safety in doing that and it can be weaponized against them right So it's complicated. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I wanted to say that because I don't want to ever give the impression that I think this stuff is easy or clear or there's a right way. Mm. And that we are intentionally, like, wading into some of the most, like, sensitive, complex material that we can. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like it. Yeah. (laughs) And, I mean, kind of to bring it full, full circle, like, the big fear for me is probably that, you know in 20 years or in our case, maybe five years, <laughs> our kids will like really resent us mm-hmm. for our choices mm-hmm. to like be different in this way or kind of do what we mm-hmm. do, what we want to do. And maybe like the idea that it is all indulgent mm-hmm. and it adversely impacts them in some way. Yeah. I mean, I have mixed feelings about that, too. Um, You know, coming back to the jokes I was making about holiday dinner conversations in our future, uh, our kids are going to have complaints about how we handled this and many other things, I suspect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also think that's a little inevitable. Like, uh, kids are always individuating themselves from their parents, even into adulthood. And I think that that's like the right of children is to have a critique of the way they were raised and to respond to it and engage with it. And it's like, you have to explain what individuating means. Ooh, Professor (laughs) Studeville. Individuating is the process of 
people becoming individuals outside of their parents' family of origin, you know, the people who raised them, essentially, and learning what it feels like to develop their own value systems and ways of living and um, experiences, often, at least in part, in opposition mm-hmm. to the way they were raised. That's mm-hmm. You're saying that's healthy. I think it's healthy. Why can't they just love us and appreciate us forever and do exactly what we want? <laughs> Never disagree with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sarah. <Jessica>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think there is this sense sometimes that we can parent in a way that avoids that. And I don't think you want to mm-hmm. actually parent in a way that avoids that. Um, and so it's kind of like, well, what are you trying to parent for? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and I, I think about a conversation I was having with our son the other day in the car and he asked me like, if I thought that he was smarter than I was at his age. And I was Hmm. like, yeah, I do think that you're smarter than me at, uh, when I was your age. He was like, why? And I said, well, you know a lot more about the world than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and you talk about it more than I did too. And he was like, Yeah that's because I have a mom who tells me the truth. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is like a real gold star parenting moment. Yeah, good job. (laughs) Patting myself on the back, taking notes, obviously, for future podcast Uh episodes. (laughs) And I was like, and do you like that? And there was a significant pause before he was like, mostly. (laughs) Which I feel like that I'll take it, right? Uh Um, In a way... I don't know. I I can't keep the world from being scary or unpredictable or hard to understand. Um, But I do want our kids to be able to say that we were like honest with them Mm -hmm. about the things that impacted their lives. And I want our connection to them to feel like as safe and open as possible, Mm. you know? And it's like, I don't know where the chips are going to fall. With yeah. doing it that way, or with trying to at least, but um, yeah, it is really hard to on. like embody that on the day to day, and it's hard it to is. not be yeah. afraid. Um, like there are definitely, I've like seen a few posts on like forums that haunt me. <laughs> that like, uh, and I don't even, I don't actually know if these are like real or if they're like conservative trolling but like there I've seen a few posts with people being like you know my parents were like swingers or poly and like I always felt like they cared more about their lifestyle and their like fuck buddies more than they cared about me and Mm -hmm. like I had the experience of like walking in on them in their sex party and I fucking hate them for it and like um yikes Yikes. so intense like I definitely that shit lives rent free. <laughs> like, um, and I like, yeah, I don't know like what to, you know, there's certainly like ways to, to kind of like mitigate the, those kinds of experiences, but there's not necessarily ways to mitigate like the, that, that sense of resentment that like um, your parents are, you're, you're parenting in like some kind of selfish way. Um, and that's, that's what I think maybe like keeps me from directly engaging sometimes around like telling the kids, I think you're more likely to like talk to our kids about like, 
you know, what you're doing. I'm more likely when I'm going out to be like, I'm going out with a friend and just like kind of omit things when it feels easier to like not tell them I'm going out with a girlfriend or like, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Do you feel like they're ready to hear that? Ready to hear what? That you're going out with a girlfriend or I do. Yeah, I do. It just never really feels like in that moment, like it's important, you know, mm-hmm. like the specific cases and it doesn't usually feel like it's important, mm-hmm. but it's like, I, I don't, I'm not like trying to defend it. It's more just kind of like emotionally lazy maybe to just like not want to, you know, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, and in part because you know, they will have feelings about it. Right. And they will probably say at some point, you care about going out on dates with your girlfriends more than you want to hang out with us, right? I mean, I can hear it. Yeah, and they do say that in general. Like, you know, they say that when we go out on dates with each other. Yeah, they do. And it's it's much more available to me to be like, well, it's really important that mom and I go out together so that we have a strong relationship independent of just spending time with you guys. So, fuck off. And I I feel like this is like such a tension around parenting where it's like, I said at the top of this episode, I want to keep pulling us back to trying to center what the kids' experience of this might mm. be and really kind of think about decision-making through that lens. And also, we are allowed to have lives and things that we want and things that we do that they don't understand, that they're not always privy to, and maybe they don't like. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't make us bad I'm parents I'm sure there's either. some research mm. that shows that and we'll... I will find <laughs> it. We'll find it, yeah. Put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> um Yeah. And also, uh, if the kids are listening to this in 20 years and like somehow the entire internet hasn't been wiped and this digital file still exists, I'm sorry for telling you to fuck off just now. I didn't mean it. It was a joke. Hopefully what those, those future kids in their hypothetical listening will hear is how much we cared about them and how much we were Mm. thinking about this. Yeah. Um, and that we did not do it all right. But that we were loving them and wanting to do it as best we could the whole time. Yeah. And each other. Yeah. And good luck defeating Skynet. We believe in you. It's funny because Humanity's I feel like worth saving. 20 years from now, we would have such bigger things to apologize for. We're like, and also I'm sorry about climate collapse. I'm also sorry about. <laughs> Can we go out on the Terminator 2 music? Good. I'm sorry that you're just like living in abandoned tunnels and like eating canned food from or, or 15 years ago. Socialist utopia. Yeah, you're welcome for the socialist utopia that would help to create. It all started right here. (laughs) Fully automated luxury gay space communism. Hell yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. I'm telling you. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Well, on that note, thank you so much. No, you're welcome. listening to mistakes were made uh if you like this podcast please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and we will be back in three weeks with another amazing episode that carries us even further towards the fully automated luxury gay space liberation communism communism of the future yeah and good luck at all those holiday dinners you can do it you can do it (laughs) bye bye